I just, I told Robert, I just want to reiterate publicly how much, how grateful we are. Uh, last week was, was busy for him. I make him play certain things on Easter every year. Uh, of course, the Hallelujah Chorus, and then he goes right into what's known as the Takata by Vidor. And, and that's the one where there's, his left hand goes do-do-do-do-do-do-do for five minutes. Um, but it, it is, it is a, such a great piece of music, and Robert never makes a mistake. So we're so grateful for him. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take your Bibles, or I believe it's in the worship folder, and turn to James. We return to James after our, our break surrounding Easter, um, and we, we come to the, the closing portions uh, of this book, and we're looking at one verse and one verse only today because of what it says uh, and how much it applies to each and every one of us in our everyday lives. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we prepare to read God's word? Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us. Um, Fill our minds and our hearts with your will. Conform our hearts and minds to what it says so that we would each, as each individual believers, be a testimony unto the things of Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I think our society has become accustomed to uh, less than total honesty in the public realm uh, and so often that we hardly even blink an eye to a a politician or some other noted individual who says something that we know is not true but what are we going to do I I can't get to them Uh, you know I can write letters and things but by the time I really think about it you know eight million other things have come across my my desk or my the internet and I'm on to something else Um, Besides, we have fact-checkers. Did you know that? We have fact-checkers to make sure that the facts are, are true. Uh, okay. They're supposedly, and this is from, from some quotes, supposedly unbiased researchers who look into public statements for their validity. They don't rate statements as true or false, but as how close they are to what the fact-checkers have determined to be true. Often, in some places, they rate them by Pinocchios. You remember Pinocchio? Every time he told a lie, his nose got longer. Um, so, but who determines what is true? That's, that's always an issue. Okay? So whose facts should we believe? And just in the last couple years, okay, whose facts should we believe? Did COVID come from somebody eating a bat? Or was it a mistake at a lab? Did the communist government of China purposely release it upon the rest of the world? Whose facts do we believe in? Is coffee good for you or is it bad for you? I, I think it's good for you. Um, uh, whose version of history are we to believe? Was George, George Washington, did he never tell a lie? Or was he some terrible slave owner whose statutes and, and monuments should be torn down? Whose facts should we believe? Presidents, and I'll just pick on politicians, uh, 
and their spokespeople regularly make statements about how good the economy is, how many jobs they've created, how secure the border is, how the other party wants to take your guns, starve the elderly, take your rights away, line the pockets of the rich, tax you into poverty. And we get so used to hearing public figures making statements like this. We hardly give it a second thought. Just read this week that in a congressional hearing, one of the congressmen told the person who was testifying, um, he said, I think you're fudging the truth. Uh, I guess that's a technical political term. Um, Is there a difference between fudging and lying? Hardly ever do you hear somebody say in public, you are lying. You just don't usually hear that. Now, my, my, I'll use my father as an example and what happened to him. He, was, uh, he told me about the day that he was going to meet one of his good friends for lunch. It was kind of in an out-of-the-way out of restaurant. And when my dad arrived, there at the table was his good friend and this attractive young lady. My dad didn't think much of it at the time, and it really wasn't polite to delve into too much about what she was doing there, etc. But later, my dad asked his good friend about it. And his good friend, you see there's a trend here, his good friend said, Joe, I invited you to lunch so that if anyone I knew came along and asked me about the girl, I could say she was with you. (laughs) That's a good friend, okay? Now, that was the first time I ever heard the term beard, beard, used not to refer to facial hair. That's, That's the person you bring along to take the blame. Okay, well, she's not with me, must be with Joel, okay? And what a surprise that would have been to my dad, okay? Mark Twain said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything because you just always tell the truth. So how important is it for believers to tell the truth? Now, if if you want to jump to the end, the answer is it's very, very important because we always have to. So let's see how we get there. Jesus, or, or James is returning to a topic from chapter 1. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. If you can't control your tongue, then what good is your religion? And now he is saying about taking oaths here. And he's reiterating some words that we read in Matthew chapter 5 from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It's absolutely crucial for Christians to be truthful, to be known for our truthfulness. No obfuscation, no little white lies, no fudging the truth, nothing like that, no purposely leaving out things that might make us look bad. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And really, Jesus, in in the Sermon on the Mount, he's he's challenging some long-held practices by Jewish leaders and scholars in the first century. He says, again, you've heard that those of old were, have told you or were told, okay? So this is a rabbinic, rabbinical teaching. This isn't from the Old Testament. This is a rabbinical teaching, which, is, which says, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Okay, to the Lord. And that sounds good, right? If I make a vow to the Lord, I want to keep it. But there's a little something hidden in what they did. The tradition taught, fulfill your vows to the Lord. So the Jews came to the conclusion, if I make a vow and I swear 
to something other than the Lord, then I don't have to keep it. I only have to keep the vows I make to the Lord. You know, if I make a vow on my mother's grave, she doesn't care. She's gone, all right? So both James and Jesus is telling us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Simple, straightforward, honest speech is what should come from the mouth of the believer. Jesus raises the conversation of every believer to the level of sacredness. I want you to think about that for a moment. To sacredness. As far as humanly possible, everything I say should be true. Your reputation for integrity should be such that it's enough for people to hear you make a promise, say, I'm going to do that. And they don't have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about it. So let's look at the context of of James and, and what this means. So this is one of those verses that commentators kind of scratch their heads and go, uh, you know, I'm not sure why this is here. This sounds like kind of a proverbial statement, a proverb that was just dropped in here. But if you look at the entire context of James, he challenges us again and again and again to make sure you're living out what you say you believe. So it might be that this just popped into his mind Uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he put it down here uh, because it's a continuation of, as I said, chapter 1 and controlling the tongue, but it's also another test for us. It's a test to see if your faith is really valid. Do you say you believe this? If If you say you believe it, it should show up in how you speak. Do you tell the truth? So we look at verse 12. It starts with but... But in this context, it's, it's better translated, I think, as now because it's a, moving to a little bit of a different topic. Um, he says, but, but above all, my brothers. Now, this doesn't mean that above all, that this is the most important thing that he has said in his book. It's not quite what it means uh, because he has talked about obeying the word of God, uh, living like Christ, submitting to Christ. Those are all very, very important things, we would, we would agree. But he's highlighting the issue of personal integrity. How should a Christian live? He says, above all, this is a way of personal integrity. Because he has reminded us repeatedly, basically he has beat us over the head with it, how important it is to live what we say we believe. Okay? Say you have faith, show it to me. If you can't show it to me, you really don't have faith that it has affected your life. So he wants to make sure we're paying attention here. And he says, do not swear. Now, this is not talking about vulgar or off-color um, terms or words that we might see that are so, so common in today's society. Um, my, my father had a, a friend. Uh, he was one of my teachers in high school, and he got pulled over for a traffic stop and he used the phrase Jiminy Crickets to the police officer. The police officer arrested him uh, because he felt he was swearing at him and at the court you know at the hearing he said well I took it as some sort of swearing oath and and the judge said don't you know who Jiminy Cricket is and the police officer had no idea who Jiminy Cricket was. (laughs) Case was dismissed on that one okay. So it, it doesn't apply, nor does it apply to taking God's name in vain, which is bad, which we see in other places. 
It applies to taking oaths and invoking God's name to guarantee the reliability of what I say. Okay? I swear to God this is what it means. Let's see, I'm invoking God's name. You shouldn't do that. Misuse of the name of God, profaning, blaspheming the name of God, dragging his name down, invoking his name illegitimately. These are all related to what James has in mind, but he has something very specific here. Oath in the Hebrew means to swear, and in the Greek it means to bind or strengthen. So you are strengthening your words by swearing by a higher power or authority. So in the Jewish world, in the first century, there were, uh, an oath had three distinct parts to it. Three distinct parts. Attesting to the truth. That's the first part. Attesting to the truth. Calling for God to witness the promise. We call on God to see what what I'm doing and see this promise. And then number three, invoking God's punishment if you violate your word. So you, you have those three parts of an oath in the first century. To say, I swear to God meant, I want you to know I'm telling the truth, I want God to witness the fact that I'm telling the truth, and I want God to punish me if I'm not telling the truth. Serious business. Very serious business. So in those days, there weren't many written contracts. There may have been in some of the upper uh, parts of society, those who were more literate, but those who were not literate, it was very important that you could trust each other. You know, as I said before, that a handshake was a man's, uh, was good enough. A word is a man's bond. I mean, it, that was very important in the first century. It was also a way to bind your own conscience to what you were supposed to do. It was a serious and solemn thing to call upon the name of the Lord, to oversee what you were doing and to hold you accountable to that promise and then to invoke his judgment upon you if you didn't follow through now you might be thinking well randy here's a a prohibition against oaths but aren't there plenty of oaths in scripture yes there are plenty of oaths in scripture and even the lord swears by himself and we'll talk about that in just a moment because that's as sure as a promise as you can get a person can take an oath in scripture to reinforce the truth of something that they have said or to bind themselves to that truth and to bind themselves of the promise to to carry that through and to see it through to completion. So oaths are always forbidden. Oaths are not always forbidden, but are to always be fulfilled. Leviticus 19, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. So if you bring in God's name and you don't see it through, you are profaning the name of God. You're not allowed to weasel out of any promise like that. Um, the prohibition in James might also deal with those who just make oaths all the time. Oh yeah, I promise, I swear. And this becomes such a part of them that they don't even carry it out. I mean, it, they're just saying it. They're, it's just a, a part of who they are. Um, so if you're swearing an oath, or if you're asking someone else to swear an oath in this context, you're saying, I'm not trustworthy, so I'm going to bring in God's name. Or you are not trustworthy, so I want you to bring in God's name to kind of seal the deal. Kind of an insurance policy to make sure you're keeping your word. 
That's the problem with oaths. Okay? Our words should be enough to instill confidence in anybody that we speak to. Now, it, it, sometimes we use the phrase like, uh, let me be frank. Okay? I, I think of the movie Airport. Surely you don't believe that. No, don't call me Shirley. Okay? Um, so let me be frank. Well, that means let me be honest with you. Uh, and so what do we assume? You weren't honest before. Now you're going to be honest this time. See, we have to be yes or no. Yes or no. Our word should be enough to instill that confidence that we're going to carry out whatever we promise. It should be binding upon our hearts that we will fulfill it. So in today's world, some have taken the prohibition of of oaths to the extreme. They don't swear in a courtroom. Uh, They won't pledge allegiance. They won't sign certain documents, uh, things like that. So James is not really addressing those types of oaths. But a believer's integrity, a believer's commitment to truth should never require an oath. Oh, God's name on a stack of Bibles. My mother's grave. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Okay? That kind of thing. We don't don't need that. Okay? We just need our word. A willingness to take such an oath on on the part of a believer really shows our lack of trustworthiness now when you go into a courtroom of course you should swear because that's what you have to do because if you're going to not tell the truth in a courtroom what's what's five years for perjury okay you don't want to do that you want to tell the truth when you get there but there are plenty of oaths in scripture the old testament we find abraham isaac jacob all swore before god to keep his word david does the same thing when he's king in second samuel Second Chronicles, Nehemiah, the entire nation of Israel swears an oath, a vow before the Lord. Exodus 22, God institutes an oath. These are just a couple places. And then Numbers 5, a woman who was accused of adultery could take an oath before God to assure the crowd of her innocence, of her innocence. And all those are legitimate because they were taken at very solemn times. Not just every day, willy-nilly, take an oath, but a solemn time. They invoke the name of God as a witness. Numbers chapter 30, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Acts chapter 2, Peter refers to a covenant, an oath God made with Abraham in that great sermon that he has there. The oath which God swore to Abraham, God swore by himself. Now, why would God swear an oath by himself? There's nobody more powerful, more higher, more holy than God. You are always swearing an oath uh, relative to somebody higher or uh, more authority, more authority than yourself. Um, So the Lord does this on several occasions. Genesis 9, after the flood. Luke chapter 1, he promises to send the Redeemer. Psalm 16, he's going to raise his son from the dead. Isaiah 49, he's going to bless and preserve Israel. And he swears by himself to do these things. But why in the world would God swear anyway? Isn't his word good enough? You would think that the one who has all power and authority would simply have to say it, and that would be enough. So why does God swear? Because we're liars. 
That's why God's for. Because men are liars. The Lord uses this as a means or a vehicle so that sinful men would understand and they would know that he was serious about what he said. God didn't need to make oaths. He swore for our benefit because he knew men needed it to set an example of integrity, an example of truthfulness in terms that we would understand. Oaths are only for serious occasions. Only in the name of God and they were to be kept. Think of the courtroom, as I said. Do you swear to what? Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I'm still in Perry Mason. You had your hand on the Bible like this. So help you God. So help you God. As I said, perjury is a, a serious business. If you lie before the judge when you are under oath, you're going to prison. If you stand in front of witnesses, if you commit yourself to your spouse, down here, right here on the floor, commit yourself to your spouse for the rest of your life. How, how the words go? Your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, as long as we both shall live. You invite people to a wedding as witnesses to those promises, but who, are the real, who is the real witness when you get married here at Central or in a church? It's the Lord. Okay? You're swearing before the Lord, this is your lifelong covenant that you are making. And you are invoking his name in the midst of that. It's a serious occasion. And it calls for the invocation of God's name. So as I said, James has been calling us to, to test our faith. What do you believe? How do you live it? Okay, the entire letter, how do you respond to trials? How do you respond to temptation? How do you respond to God's word? How do you respond to the poor? Um, is your life filled with works or do you simply talk about them? What's your speech like? Because, you know, fresh water and salt water don't come from the same spring, so you better control your tongue. Just a long series of tests so that we can examine ourselves. And here in this one verse, he calls us very simply, can you be trusted? Is your Christian life, is your faith in Christ evident enough that people will trust you? And will you hold yourself to keep your own word? Will your yes be yes and your no be no? See, given enough time, given enough opportunity, what's in here will come out of here. So we have to say, what is going to come out here? Trustworthiness, truthfulness, whatever is right and just and pure and beautiful. If that's what we want to come out of our mouths, then we have to fill our hearts with those things as well. Because sooner or later, those things that are hidden in our hearts are going to come out of our mouths at the most inopportune times. And as believers... We want our hearts to be so full of the word of God, so full of his grace and mercy and kindness and goodness that even in our weakest moments, that's what flows from our mouths. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this, this simple verse calls us to truthfulness because you are truthful. You have kept your promises to us.
We who did not deserve those promises, you have made them and you have kept them. And even those that are yet not to be fulfilled, we know from your character, we know from your history, you will keep them. For you have a place that is prepared for each of us, an inheritance that is kept for us. Those things will come to fulfillment in your perfect time. The Lord in this world, let that which comes from our mouths be truthful. Let that which comes from our mouths flow from hearts that are filled with the things of Christ, the things that are beautiful and trustworthy. Let our words be kind and true. Let let us be encouragers of one another. And Lord, even when the truth is hard, help us to deliver that with compassion and caring so that even then the things of Christ will be demonstrated in our lives and in our words. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing together.